Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. Are you surprised by this? Uh, let me tell you, this is the claim of the Christian faith. That a man did what cannot be done. A man rose from the dead and was seen by many people. In fact, by some accounts, this is the most verifiable event in history. Are you surprised by a man rising from the dead? Or is it no big deal? It's something to be, to be shrugged off because we hear it every year. Or something to maybe only think about once a year. Uh, something to give us a, just a little bit of optimism. If we're not surprised by the resurrection, uh, on the other hand, we, we tend to get surprised by things that, that really shouldn't surprise us. I can't believe that a, a powerful ruler would invade another country. A country went to war? What? Pandemics happen? And, and, and people panic? What? The government closed down the churches? It, it, it snowed in April? A family member died? We're surprised by what shouldn't surprise us, and then we take the resurrection for granted, and God's grace for granted. You know, it's like if you've been a, a terrible spouse and, and you come home and your husband or wife has made you the most marvelous feast for no reason. This is the gospel. This is Easter, the Paschal celebration, the Paschal feast. Jesus is our Paschal lamb. Uh, Easter flips our priorities and it allows us to look at the world as God does. In truth, he raised Jesus from the dead. This is how much God loves you. He died for you because the world is evil, but he rose to show you that he redeemed it, that he redeemed you. Our future is certain. So let us keep the festival, as Paul says, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And let us stand and sing our festival hymn, He is Arisen.
The text for our sermon this morning, the Holy Ghost, is caused to be recorded in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at the 13th verse. We read as follows in Jesus' name. Look, my servant will succeed. He will rise, he will be lifted up, he will be highly exalted. Just as a man were appalled at him, his experience was so disfigured that he, couldn't, he did not look like a man. He was formless, disfigured more than any other person. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Because they will see something they had never been told before, and they will understand something they had never heard before. And we pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. He will succeed. He will rise. He will be lifted up. He will be highly exalted. What Isaiah is describing is what the church calls the exaltation of Christ. Our catechism uses this uh, uh, definition for the exaltation, that Jesus, according to his human nature, always and fully uses the divine attributes given to him. The Lord's exaltation is the opposite of his humiliation, which we considered last week on Palm Sunday. From Palm Sunday to Good Friday, we see the pinnacle of our Lord's humiliation or the low point. That is when, when Christ, as true God and man, humbled himself. That is, he, he did not make full use of his divine attributes or powers given to him according to his human nature. And he did this so that he could become obedient to the law, to the point of death, even the death of a criminal on the cross. And Isaiah says that in his humiliation, Many were appalled at him. They don't want a disfigured or humble servant. They don't want a God who suffers. You know, these are, are those who, who, who want the blessings of heaven without the pain of the cross, who, who want Easter without Good Friday, who want the pleasures of sin without repentance. They want a God who is convenient on their terms and at their time. But in the exaltation, we see how impossible this is. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Because they will see something they've never been told before, and they will understand something they had never heard before. Isaiah describes a sense of amazement by the rulers of the earth. They see something that we would say in modern language is impossible, or unbelievable, or unprecedented. Now, unfortunately, these terms don't mean what their etymology implies anymore. You know, we say things like, the pandemic was unprecedented, or this war is unbelievable, or even Maria's pizza is impossibly good. Well, none of those are true. Or maybe, the, maybe the pizza one. But as wicked and terrible as the events happening in this world are, as sad as death is, none of it should really be shocking to us. But this, the exaltation of Christ, is truly, in every sense of the word, impossible and unprecedented. And yet being seen by men with their own eyes. 
Here Isaiah is describing two truths. One, like Job confesses, that I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end of the world and the resurrection of all the dead, all people will see God with their own eyes. We believe, after all, in the resurrection of the body for all people. And we also believe that Christ will return in glory to judge both the living and the dead. So the amazement Isaiah describes here is not like the amazement, say, of of watching fireworks. Uh, This is the amazement of unbelief. Everyone who has their God as themselves, who is their own king, will be struck with speechless terror. They will shut their mouths because of him. They will be mute. Uh, Think of what a king does. A king controls things, or a king tries to control everything. Uh, They have to have everything go according to their plan and purpose, to have life exactly how they want it. We, too, are just like this. We, too, are addicted to control. But we see, even in our own experience, how futile this is. It's why we despair when things surprise us. But for the faithful, the exaltation of Christ shows a different picture. Could you tell me, if I were to ask you, what was the first thing Jesus did in his exaltation? In other words, what was the first thing Jesus did early on Easter Sunday morning? You might think, well, did he roll the stone away, or, or who did he appear to first? But you know the answer. In fact, you confess it every week in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. A lot of people mistakenly think that Jesus descended into hell on Saturday, on Holy Saturday, the, uh, on the Sabbath to suffer. Uh, but if you came to the Easter Vigil last night, you, you may, maybe picked up hints of, of this, that that's not the case. Jesus did absolutely nothing on Saturday because he was dead. It's the fulfillment. He fulfilled the Sabbath, uh, the day that God commanded us commanded to do no work. He created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. After finishing his work, Jesus finished the work on the cross. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested completely. Now I know that the descent into hell doesn't sound like a step up, like a part of the exaltation. It sounds like a step down. Until we understand the purpose of the descent into hell according to the scriptures. Early Easter morning, before the women arrived, before the disciples knew what was going on, while they were still fearing and fearful and afraid in the, behind locked doors, early Easter morning after Jesus became alive in the tomb, he descended into hell. But he didn't descend to suffer more. That had all been finished on the cross. But rather, he descended into hell to proclaim his victory. Hell was suffered on the cross when he was forsaken by God. That's what hell is. But now early Easter Sunday morning, Jesus descends into hell to lead captivity captive. When Christ died on Calvary, Satan laughed. All hell laughed because hell thought it was triumphant. But it didn't laugh for long. Christ enters hell and hell itself is mocked. 
he descended into hell to proclaim victory. Like a conquering general, Christ went directly to the enemy capital to proclaim victory. As we sang earlier, the foe was triumphant when on Calvary. The Lord of creation was nailed to the tree. But short was their triumph. The Savior arose and death, hell, and Satan. He vanquished his foes. The conquering Lord lifts his banner on high. In other words, Christ descends into hell to tell the devil, you're done. Your reign of terror is ended. You've lost your authority. And the devil, the king of unbelievers, is speechless. He's mute. His power has been eclipsed. He's seen something impossible, unbelievable, unprecedented. Hell took what it saw and was overcome by what it could not see. Christ is risen. And when the devil becomes mute, something else amazing and unbelievable happens to you and I. Recall the devil's name Satan simply means accuser. Satan's power in, is in accusing us of our sin. First he gets us to sin, and then he says to us, you've messed up so bad, it's out of your control, even God wouldn't want you. So just despair. Look at everything out of your control. But now the devil is mute. He's lost his power to accuse. St. Peter tells us what Christ's descent into hell means for us. He said, Christ also suffered once for sins in our place on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in flesh, but was made alive in spirit, in which he also went and made an announcement to the spirits in prison. Again, he descends into hell after being made alive to declare an announcement. And Peter compares Christ's announcement to those in hell and their reaction as the same shock as when in the days of Noah, the rains began falling. Suddenly, something truly unbelievable and unprecedented is happening. Everyone who had mocked Noah before for spending so much time on something they thought was foolish and a waste of time are now left, left speechless and mute. But St. Peter says that corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your baptism buries you with Christ and then raises you in his resurrection. It gives you a good conscience, a conscience that is not mute, a conscience that is not terrified by all the accusations of the devil, a conscience that is not surprised by, by the events and the problems in the world, a conscience that, that doesn't need to have everything in its control a conscience that is able to sing and rejoice even in the face of death, knowing that the worst thing the world can do is kill our bodies, but so what? They'll rise again, so come and take it. What is really unprecedented is that Isaiah writes that Christ 
will be glorious. But after his resurrection, after his death, we like to think that our lives and our bodies are as good as they're going to get. But your baptism means that after you die, you will be exalted too. A Reformation-era pastor wrote that in your baptism, you received a promise signed and sealed that your temptation, your cross, your suffering, and your death do not belong to you, but they are Christ's temptation, cross, suffering, and death. And that means that as Christ has conquered all of them, in the end, as he rose from the dead and lives eternally, so in the same way you also shall conquer the devil, death, sin, and hell, and every evil in the name of God, and wake again on the last day from the dead, and live with Christ eternally. Your baptism clothes you with the resurrection. Your baptism clothes you with the exalted state of our risen Lord. He joins you in your suffering. You join him in his exaltation. So here again from Isaiah, what blessings are yours? He will succeed. He will rise. He will be lifted up. He will be highly exalted. How wonderful that here, 700 years before it happened, the Holy Spirit has precisely foretold all the steps of Christ's exaltation, the descent into hell. He will succeed. The resurrection on the third day, he will rise. The ascension, he will be lifted up, and the sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, highly exalted. We don't need everything in our control because Christ is highly exalted, sitting at the right hand of God. He has all things under his feet and is ruling all things for the good of the church, even turning evil, surprising evil, into marvelous good for us. You will rise. You will rise in the resurrection of your body. You will be lifted up. Above all the problems of this evil world, you will be delivered from evil, you will ascend to be with Christ in heaven forever. You will be highly exalted in your baptism. You are given the power to trample over your enemies, the devil, hell, and Satan. They cannot harm you because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.